the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Diane Brennan. Thanks so much for joining us. We know you have a lot of choices on where to spend your time, so we appreciate you taking the time to spend it with us. And Josh, fall has hit Ohio. It, I think it is officially here. You know, I would say the weather in Ohio is about as crazy as the market has been here as of late. It's 91 day and 65 the next. But in looking at the uh, the weather channel, it looks like we're here to stay now. We're heading into the 60s, which is good other than it'll go from 60 to 40 in about a month. So I'm, I'm not looking forward to that, but fall is my favorite, my favorite time of year. While it lasts a short time, for sure. It does seem to be a short month. Wanted to ask you about your online educational webinars. A lot of our listeners um, aren't familiar with them. So tell us about that. Yeah, so COVID's changed a lot of things, right? And, and one of them was we used to do educational workshops um, at almost every library around in Columbus, completely free of charge, just to educate people who are in that nearing retirement, retirement category on things like social security, taxation, mitigating risk in retirement portfolios, a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the show here. Well, that's changed because of COVID. We can't get back into the library. So we're doing those all online, which turns out to be a great thing in that we're not limited by space, which we were before. So everybody can attend. Anybody who's in that position find, thinks that uh, the information will be useful for them. Just call our office. We'll get you set up for the next one. And it's real easy. You log in and just follow along. And the number to call is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. If you'd like to check out the website, it is aptuswealth.com as well. And if you'd like to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge, it is basically a second opinion from Josh on your portfolio. It's a 15-minute call with Josh, and in return, he'll give you a $25 gift card to spend and support our local community. The number again, 614-364-7300. And this works best with portfolios of 250000 and up, and there is a limit of one per household. Josh, the short-term impact of coronavirus is pretty apparent in everyday life for many. But what are the long-term financial consequences, especially on retirement security? You know, as a result of the, the, the COVID uh, hitting our, our country, they passed something called the CARES Act. And the CARES Act effectively allowed Americans the ability to access retirement portfolios with no penalty if they were still in an age bracket where a penalty would exist, and then allowed them to defer their taxes over a period of time. And that was a great thing. It helped a lot of Americans. Now, the good news is not too many people actually use that 
ability. Um, only about 2% of participants actually took CARES Act withdrawals. But the downside to that is, um, you know, if the median, let's say, was about $10,000 and you're only 35 years old and you actually take that $10,000 and you needed that $10,000 for your short-term financial security, I understand that, but the long-term impacts can be upwards of five times that amount. So time value of money, we take $10,000 today, that $10,000 would have had the next 30 years, maybe more to grow in 30 years from now, that money probably would have been worth something like $50,000. So it's had an impact on people's retirements in that that short-term security can have a really long-term impact. I think beyond that, though, there are a couple things that we're seeing as trends with companies. Companies have suffered as a result of COVID, obviously, and one of the ways that they've uh, tried to cut costs is eliminating their match in their 401k. So if you were in a category where you did not need to take a withdrawal and you still have your job and you're continuing to contribute to your 401k and retirement plans, the downside is you might be retiring in a, or you might be contributing in a smaller percentage. Because let's say that your company was matching you know, 3% on the money that you contributed and you were putting in three and they were matching three and you were saving six. Many companies have removed that match. And unfortunately, it's been my experience over the last 20 years or so, when things are taken away, they usually don't get put back in whether it makes sense or not. It just seems to be the way the way the world works. Hopefully I'm wrong in this case, but if that is the scenario, the long-term impact of saving effectively half as much via the loss of a match can be incredibly detrimental. Interesting though, small companies and small businesses, that's businesses with 500 employees or less, were much less apt to reduce or eliminate their, eliminate their match. So you could argue that the companies that have effectively or arguably been hurt the most through COVID are the least likely to actually reduce the benefits to their employees. So go small businesses. Uh, I'm, I'm very, you know, happy to be one of them and, and proud that we're, we're taking that stance. But beyond all of the, the nuts and bolts and the actual numbers and what have they taken away and what have they added, the overall attitude towards retirement has really been affected negatively. And I'm sure we could talk about how COVID has negatively affected people's attitudes just in general and that certainly has not escaped the retirement planning world. In a recent census, they said that uh, 71% of Americans believe that the pandemic will have a negative impact on the retirement plans, and a large percentage of those went as far as to say that they've effectively thrown in the towel on the retirement planning scenario. So you have almost three-quarters of Americans saying, this is not good for me. This is going to have a significant detrimental impact to my retirement. And a large percentage of them said, not only is it going to hurt me, but it probably has eliminated my ability to retire and I'm just giving up. So that negative attitude is one that I hope through the rest of the show, we can, we can give some options, give some choices and, and say all hope is not lost. We just have to pivot. Um, and then the other one, the other stat that I saw recently that was really shocking to me is it said almost half of U.S. households with an adult living in the household has experienced a loss of employment since March. So you have half of households have been impacted, not just in having to wear a mask and staying home, but they've been impacted in the fact that somebody in that household has lost their job, either temporarily or permanently. So COVID has absolutely hit us hard. It doesn't seem to be affecting the market that uh, anymore as much as it was. Uh, I don't know that that's sustainable, but it has hit the average American very, very hard. To flip to the positive, though, it sure in it sure makes people understand that they need to save. And when they're planning for retirement, they have to plan for these valleys as the hills and valleys of the market. 
and, and your retirement go through. Yeah, it's certainly been a Anytime we're in these scenarios, it's actually, in my opinion, easier to work with clients. And the reason is we get, we're all emotional beings and we get caught up in the hype. And when you think about 2008 was awful. And when I had conversations in 2008, it was very difficult to get people to even think about investing back in the market because of the impact of the financial and the housing crisis. And now we've almost forgot about all of that. And everything was going so good that you couldn't convince people to pull back the reins a little bit. And this one was a scenario that I actually, it's not great, but it was a scenario where people learned a lesson, but they didn't get hurt. It went down, it popped back up, and I'm speaking purely of the market, not of losing jobs. It went down, it came back up, and now it's a time to reevaluate, reposition. It was just a lesson learned without a huge you know, hammering of your retirement portfolio. If you would like a second opinion on your retirement portfolio, we invite you to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. It's a 15-minute phone call with Josh to get a second opinion. In return, he will give you a $25 gift card to spend and support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And the website is aptuswealth.com. Josh, what is the FIRE retirement strategy and how have these difficult times changed things for people who subscribe to that approach? Well, the concept or the, the FIRE retirement strategy is one that's focused on creating financial independence as early as possible and analyzing expenses versus income. So, for example, almost everything that we hear in the market or we hear in CNBC or Fidelity or whoever we're subscribing to usually says when you retire, you're going to need about X percentage of your income currently to retire, which is an income-based model. In other words, you're making 10 grand a month, you're gonna need about eight grand a month in retirement. That's the income that you're gonna need. It doesn't focus on expenses, really. Whereas the FIRE-based approach focuses purely on replacing the income that is required to pay your specific expenses. And the ideology beyond that, and I really like this, by the way, the ideology is how quickly can I start attacking via passive income all of my expenses and how quickly could I reach a point where my current job isn't necessary. So it doesn't necessarily focus on pure retirement. It focuses on financial independence, which is something we talk about a lot in my office. We don't necessarily subscribe purely to the FIRE retirement strategy, but the theories uh, have some overlap. For example, if you're making a half a million dollars a year and you're living on $10,000 a month, you clearly don't need 80% of your salary to retire on, or I mean $100,000 a year, excuse me, because you have $400,000 effectively in disposable income. So focusing on your income would be a flawed strategy. You should really focus on your expenses. And the theory there is we want to get there as quick as possible through aggressive management of our, our savings rates and also controlling the level of our expenses, which I think is very prudent behavior. Let's not let our expenses careen too high and let's not let, uh, let's try and focus on saving as much as we possibly can. Now, in general, if you then overlap, we talk a lot, Diane, about, you know, the 4% rule. We've talked about, the lot, about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. If you subscribe the 4% rule kind of to that, you need about 25 times your expenses to be able to retire comfortably for the next 30 years or so. The one thing I don't like about the FIRE retirement strategy is, one goal that they add in there is retiring very young. So how, what do I need to do to retire to get to, uh, you know, retire at 35, 45, 55, not 65. And the idea that 
of your expenses or the 4% rule applied to your expenses will last for 50 or 60 years. I think in today's environment is pretty flawed. There's been a lot of research done on this and my uh, belief in my math matches that of all of the, the studies that have been done. So essentially, if you want to subscribe to this and you do believe that you want to retire very young, you also need to abandon, in my opinion, the 4% rule and start going after a 3% rule, which then in turn makes you know, this strategy of retiring at 35 or 45 much more difficult, but it also makes it safer. safer. If you think that 4% withdrawal rate adjusted for inflation with all of the potential variables that are out there will last over the next 50 years, I think you're, while you're not purely rolling the dice, I think you're taking a risk that's substantial enough that you should really reinvestigate it. But again, circling back, I think that don't just when you're doing retirement planning, don't focus purely on how much income am I going to need to replace my income. Do an in-depth analysis of what my, are my actual expenses and what income do I need to generate to fund those, not just replace what I'm currently making. It's a much more accurate depiction of how you live your life. And more importantly is use a great financial advisor. Don't try and figure this out by yourself. Yeah, I, I think because there's a lot of variables that are going in there that you don't necessarily know. Like, for example, okay, now I know my expenses. And that's great. I did an in-depth analysis of my expenses. But what is my gross income that I need to generate to net out that income to actually pay for the expenses? Because I have to take the income from somewhere, and I'm going to have to pay taxes on at least a portion of that income. What is the most efficient way and the most efficient places to draw that income from? Should I take it from my IRA, my 401k, my non-qualified accounts, my Roth IRA? My, you know, maybe I have rental properties. Where should I draw the income from to net out the right amount in the most tax efficient way possible? How should I be invested? How should I be diversified? I think it's a great exercise in doing before you come and see a financial professional. But then when you come to my office, we've kind of skirted that already. Now we're done with that process. I know how much you need. Let's reevaluate. And now let's figure out the most efficient way to drive that. The number to call is 614-364-7300 if you have questions or you'd like to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. The number is 614-364-7300. Coming up next, how much is in your emergency fund when we come back? We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, lots of people have unfortunately had to adjust their savings approach because of COVID-19 and the coronavirus pandemic. How much should we keep in an emergency fund? What's the rule of thumb? Well, the rule of thumb is three to six months of your salary. Now, that said, you know, rules of thumb are just thumbs, right? I mean, it's just a rule of thumb. It might not actually apply to you. For example, if you're a 
if you work in the the medical community and you have a very specialized, uh, you know, you're the number one surgeon on something in the country, chances are you're not going to lose your job. Um, you know your job security better than I do. Um, if you live in a if you're in a very volatile industry, then you may need a little bit more than that three to six month number, particularly if you know, hey, I'm very specialized. If I lose my job, it's going to take a long time for me to replace that job. So it's it's just a rule of thumb. But if you're starting out, you're younger, and you're you're thinking, when should I start investing in the market? Well, first things first, obviously contribute to your 401k up to the match. That's just giving, you would be giving away free money if you didn't do that. But once you hit that match level, start saving an emergency fund. And when you hit that three to six month number, then start to evaluate your own scenario. Is that enough? Should I go more? Should I, you know, what should I do with it? And then beyond that, you can start investing in other things. But again, it's just a rule of thumb. But if there's one thing that we, we've learned through COVID, uh, crazy things can happen that there's no possible way that you could predict. And that's the tough one. People like to analyze things with emergency fund going, well, you know, I mean, what could possibly happen for me to, for me to need this thing in my occupation? Well, I don't know who predicted that we would have a, a, a worldwide pandemic where the government would come in and tell you you're not allowed to work in your particular occupation. I don't know how you would have seen that coming. But if you didn't have an emergency fund, you definitely felt its effects. So always have some sort of liquid capital that you can access readily that will put you in a protection element. Because if you don't, what is the opposite side? You put all your money in the stock market. COVID hits. You lose your job. Stock market is down 30%. You have to pull money out when it's down 30% to, to sustain your life. Well, if you had an emergency fund, you wouldn't have had to pull that money out. And just a few short months later, your 30% is now back to even, and you didn't take that hit. So an emergency fund does two things. One, if you don't have money in the market, it's something that you absolutely have to have just to sustain your standard of living during downtimes, loss of job, et cetera. Roof blows off the house. You don't put it on a credit card. But two, even if you have a lot of money invested in the stock market and you have a lot of money, period, and you go, what do I need an emergency fund for? I'm worth a million bucks or whatever the number is. The time when you'll most likely need it will be the time that you least likely want to pull money out of those stock market investments. So it buys you options and it buys you time. What that number is for you, I don't know. But to answer your question again, rule of thumb, three to six months. And where do you suggest we put it? Well, that's the unfortunate part is, you know, typically you would say money markets, you would say things like savings accounts, money markets, checking accounts, maybe a CD. And that's still the answer, by the way. You should have all of those things. The downside is none of those look really good. So one of the options that I see is, is a potential option that's uh, a decent one is, let's say that you have a $300,000 house, you still owe $150,000 on your mortgage, but you have a $25,000 emergency fund. Well, take a home equity line out on your house so that you have access to capital, and then put the $25,000 towards your mortgage. Now, if you need the capital, which again, it's an emergency fund, you only need this in the event of an emergency. So you probably won't need it. You have access to your home equity line. But if you don't need it, which is more than likely, because chances are there won't be a ton of emergencies all the time, at least your interest rate that you're earning is this, the interest that you're saving on your mortgage. So if you have a 3% mortgage and you pay off that amount on your mortgage, you're saving 3%, which is tax-free, by the way. So you're saving 3% on your mortgage. You're effectively getting 3% on your savings. Because if you just put it in a checking account, the effective rate's going to be, I mean, you're not even going to hit one. You'll be lucky to hit a half a percent. Um, so that's the difficult part is it's a, a very non-earning asset. 
unless you treat yourself like a bank or your house like a bank and you do the home equity line strategy that I just said. But that takes a lot of work. And I would say unless you have a decent chunk in savings, the work might not be worth it. The juice might not be worth the squeeze, but that is an option to increase your rate of return on your savings. You need it either way. Um, there's not a whole lot of really good choices that are going to earn you a lot of money right now, Diane, though. And what do you mean by a lot of work? Just getting the home equity line of credit with the bank? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you've gone through the mortgage process, um, it, it's never fun. No. I mean, no, matter, <laughs> no matter how smooth it goes, no matter how good your mortgage broker is, um, it, it's, a, it's a pain in the butt. Now, full disclosure, home equity lines are a heck of a lot easier than a traditional mortgage. General rules, home equity lines last for 10 years. They're almost always variable rates. You can do a fixed rate, but it's at a higher rate, obviously. Um, usually the sweet spot's about 80% loan to value. So if you don't have that much equity in your house, it's not going to work for you. There's a lot of hoops to jump through and a lot of mouth, uh, math to calculate. But it is a way where you can increase the benefit of your savings. Uh, not for everybody, but it's kind of one of those... Uh, ancillary options that few people think of that can be very effective if used appropriately. If you'd like a second opinion on your retirement portfolio, we invite you to take the Aptis Blueprint Challenge. It's a 15-minute phone call with Josh to get a second opinion. In return, he'll give you a $25 gift card to spend in our local community and support them. Call 614-364-7300. The number again is 614-364-7300. Zero, zero. The website is aptuswealth.com. It's spelled A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. Josh, you've explained before that traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs help people save in a different way. What are some things to keep in mind when choosing between the two retirement savings options? Well, first, very quickly again, what is the difference? A traditional IRA, uh, you put into money pre-tax, so you save money that you would have otherwise paid in taxes today. That money grows tax-deferred, so you're earning interest on money you would have paid taxes on. But then every dollar you pull out of it goes into your taxable income. Roth IRAs work almost in reverse in the beginning and end, but the middle is the same. So you put in money after tax. You pay taxes on the money today, so you don't get any benefit today. The money grows tax-deferred. But then every dollar you pull out of it, including all of your gains, is completely and utterly tax-free. The other nuance to Roth IRAs is they are not subject to minimum required distribution. So um, one you know, advantage or the, the general advantage of Roth IRAs is when I reach retirement, that income will not be taxed. I will not have to take money that in turn gets taxed. It will not affect other things that are impacted by my taxable income. It is the cleanest form of money that you could possibly have. So that's the huge benefit. Well, what would I have to do to calculate to see if that makes sense? Well, one, I certainly wouldn't want to pay higher taxes today to save lower taxes tomorrow. Uh, What I mean by that is, let's say that you're in the 12% bracket today, and you believe that you're never going to be past the 12% bracket for the rest of your life. Why would you take a bunch of money out of your traditional IRA at 22% potentially to save yourself 12? Now, I think that that's a flawed argument, Diane, and that most people believe tax rates are going to remain Uh, very few believe they're going to remain as low as they are today. In the long run, most people believe they're going to go up. So the ideology of going to a Roth is I am insulating myself or protecting myself from the impact of future rising tax rates, particularly amongst an economy where we're spending trillions of dollars going more and more into debt constantly. And what I hear almost every day from clients is at some point, somebody is going to have to pay this back and it's going to have to be paid back in the form of tax dollars. 
And I have a feeling they're coming after me for that. So I want to protect myself against that potential, or at least what I feel will be the reality. And I don't disagree with that. But what are some other detriments to the process? And the process is I have to take money then if I want to convert from my traditional IRA or my 401k to a Roth IRA, I have to take that money out, pay taxes on it. I can do it in small chunks, but pay taxes on it and then roll it over to the Roth. So I know that I'm going to have to pay taxes on it. That's fine. But what are some other things that could occur that I'm not forecasting? Well, there's two things that I can think of off the top of my head. We won't get to all of them, but there are two things that the government that you have to partake in, usually, or most people partake in, that are affected by your level of income. One is Social Security, two is Medicare. Everybody has to have Medicare, and most people in the United States benefit from Social Security unless they have a governmental pension of some other category. Your Social Security is taxed based upon your outside income. Now, maybe you're already being taxed at the highest level because 85% of your Social Security can be taxable, but it's based upon, again, your outside income. Well, if you're not at the 85% level because your outside income is not that significant and then you slap on this extra income in the form of a Roth conversion, you might not only just pay taxes on that Roth conversion, it might shift over some of your Social Security to the taxable category. So you have to tread lightly. The other one is Medicare. In Medicare, the amount that you pay for Medicare Part B is determined by your taxable income. So let's say, for example, you're a married couple and you're you're at uh, $150,000 of taxable income. You're at the lowest Medicare band. But if you shift that, and now you, you do a $100,000 Roth conversion, you just jumped a band and effectively added about $100 a month a piece to your Medicare cost. So now it didn't just cost you the taxes, but it cost you an extra $200 a month for that year. So you have to tread lightly and make sure that you're taking all the variables into account. And unfortunately, there's no Roth IRA conversion calculator that takes all of this into account, that I'm aware of at least. You have to kind of just know the rules and deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis and understand what the landmines are that you have to work, watch out for. Something we do all the time in my office. I'm happy to help. But just uh, a couple of tidbits on what to be cautious about or at least investigate before you pull the trigger. Yeah, it sounds incredibly complicated to me. So calling your office seems like a really good idea to look after this stuff for me because... Yeah, and you know, it's even otherwise incredibly financially educated people come into my office and they, they'll, they'll get caught up in those last two because it's not something that's readily available. It's not talked about. And unfortunately, until you kind of get zung with it, you don't really know it exists. Um, the reality is we've just done this for so long. We've seen this time and time again. We kind of know what to look for. So you got to be careful. But even many times your accountant won't tell you that, well, you know, if you do this, it can affect your Medicare because accountants by and large don't have anything to do with Medicare, right? So you, you kind of have to have an amalgam of knowledge where you, you know a little bit about this and a little bit about this, and you know how to kind of piece it all together to make it the most effective uh, uh, bowl of soup <laughs> in the financial planning world for, for the client. If you'd like to take the Aptis Blueprint Challenge, it is a second opinion on your portfolio from Josh. Just schedule a 15-minute call with him and you will receive a $25 gift card to support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. This works best with portfolios of $250,000 and up, and there is a limit of one per household. When we come back, we're going to talk about the best practices to use for avoiding Uncle Sam taking too much 
out of your retirement. You're listening to the Aptus Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, what are the best practices for avoiding Uncle Sam taking too much out of your retirement? Well, I mean, the short answer would be know the rules, follow the rules, right? But let's talk about some things that you can do to benefit your situation. And then we'll talk about some things that you could do, perhaps even unintentionally, that could really be a detriment to your situation. Do most people think that they're going to be paying less in taxes when they retire, so they don't really pay that much attention to it? Well, that's been the conventional wisdom for a really, really long time. That's the whole point of the 401k. The whole point of the IRA is I save money uh, in taxes today in my highest earning years because I'm not going to need as much money when I retire, so I'll be in a lower tax bracket. The fear today is that in our current situation economically, particularly with the debt, programs, uh, political climate, et cetera, that taxes will be significantly more later. And although I might live on less, I might still pay more in taxes. So that ideology, while it might still hold up true, it definitely doesn't look like it's pointing in that direction. So we have to be careful. Um, And there's some things that you can do, like I said, somewhat unknowingly that can really damage you. Like, for example, one that uh, we run across all the time, even though we talk about them consistently, is clients will get letters in the mail that says, uh, please be advised that this year you have to take a minimum required distribution. And they'll call my office and say, what is that? Uh, Which is always ironic for me because I said we've been talking about this every single meeting. But that's how kind of unusual it is. And nobody really, it's not conventional wisdom that you have to take required minimum distributions. What are they? And what's the downside if I don't take them? And a minimum required distribution is essentially the IRS saying you've kicked the can on taxes uh, in this tax-deferred vehicle, i.e. your 401k, your IRA, for a really, really long time. And now we want you to take some of that money back out so we can get our tax dollars on it. And you have to start taking that at 72 or 70 and a half, depending upon when you were born. It just changed this year to 72. And the detriment is, you know, you could say, I didn't need the money. I didn't take it. I wasn't even aware that I had to take it. I'll just take double next year. Well, nice try. Um, There's a 50% penalty for not taking your minimum required distribution, which I don't know much about your tax scenario, but I know that no one that is listening to this call right now is in the 50% federal tax bracket because it doesn't exist. But that's exactly what they do to that particular piece of money that you forgot to take when you retired. So missing that is a huge detriment. Or I guess the flip side of that would be best practices for avoiding Uh, Uncle Sam taking more of your dollars would be make sure you take your minimum required distributions on time when you need to. Um, Number two would be pay close attention to the tax brackets. When you're working, you don't really get to control how much money you make. Your job is to essentially make as much money as you possibly can, save money along the way, and the tax brackets are going to fall where they fall. But when you retire, you actually have the ability to take out money at different times if you're in tax-deferred vehicles, if we're talking about IRAs and 401ks. For example, let's say you had you know, money in an IRA and you decided you wanted to buy a boat and, or a car or whatever, and you said, I hate debt, I'm going to pay cash for this thing. Does it make sense to pay cash for it in December? 
or should you pay for half of it in December and pay for the other half in January, stretching out that distribution over a two-year window, what would the impact to your tax situation be? And many times I see people do exactly that, and half of that money is paid in the 12% bracket or whatever bracket it is, and then another half of that money is paid in the 22% bracket when they could have just taken the money over two years and had it all in the 12% bracket. Well, that's an extra 10% on half of the money you took out. That's a, that's a huge hit. Um, and that's just by paying attention to the bracket and doing a little bit of an analysis. But people tend to think, I have the money. I'll take the money. I know I'm going to have to pay taxes on it. It is what it is. You have to, I hear this a lot, you have to pay the piper and then just move on. When in reality, you can do just a little bit of math and improve your situation quite dramatically. So make sure you take your minimum required distributions. Pay attention to tax brackets. And then on top of that, absolutely, even though we talked about in the, just in this last segment, you know, about Roth IRA conversions, and I gave a lot of reasons why you may not want to do it or things you should look out for because everything seems to be all, everything you see in the, in the media is all the reasons why you should do it. There are some potential reasons why it may not make sense for you. But the third thing I would, I would give you on uh, things you can do to minimize your tax situation in retirement is do the investigation on Roth IRAs. It might make a dramatically significant positive impact on your scenario in retirement as well. So make sure you do the analysis on what are my tax brackets? When I withdraw money, when should I do it? And which amounts to make sure that I minimize my situation? Should I do a Roth IRA conversion? And by all means, do not miss a required minimum distribution. It can be a painful uh, lesson to learn. I just, I'm not sure why the government wouldn't tell people or alert people that it's time to take that RMD. The RMD is, you know, I mean, obviously the, the IRS uh, has it on their website that you have to take it. Almost every financial institution will remind you, but um, I don't know about you, but I'm actually in the business and I don't read half the stuff that my financial institution sends me, nor do I know anybody other than me because I'm, you know, a finance nerd that actually goes on the IRS website and reads the publications because there's, you know, probably 9 million publications in the IRS website for example, I don't have the slightest idea on how uh, you know tobacco farms are taxed because it's never applied to me. I just happen to know the way that required minimum distributions are taxed. Well, unless you actually go and proactively look for the information, the IRS isn't making proactive calls to let everybody know. And unless you read every piece of mail that comes to you from your financial institution, whether that's Vanguard or whomever, and then, you, and then you read it and actually can understand that, okay, I have to take a minimum required distribution. I don't know what that is. And then call the institution and hopefully get somebody who can explain it to you. If you're not working with a financial professional, it could, it could easily be passed over. Just a matter of too much information to absorb. But they're certainly going to let you know with email and mail that you owe the money, the 50%. I just wish they would use it with the same enthusiasm <laughs> oh, yeah. as when you owe when them you owe money. money they, you need to get it to them right away. But if they owe you money, they, they never even let you know. You have to go fight them for it. And you're right. Uh, if you miss it and they catch it, you're going to get those just beautiful love letters that say, pay now or we're going to lean your house. Or Yeah. You know, it's, it's a terrible scenario to be in. If you would like a second opinion on your retirement portfolio, we invite you to take the Aptus Blueprint Challenge. It's a 15-minute phone call with Josh to get a second opinion on how you're doing. He will give you, in return, a $25 gift card to spend and support our local community. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And the website is aptuswealth.com. 
Josh, what are some wise practices people should employ between now and the year end with their 401k accounts? Well, I think I said the, the earlier one, and, and this is all predicated on, you know, you have your job, you're doing okay, and you're looking for ways to improve your situation. So you're not one of those unfortunate situations where you lost your job. I and mean, we're talking about people who still have their job. Make sure you're contributing up to your match. Um, and ironically enough, if you look at financial at 401k plans around the country, and you look at the ones that have a match and ones that don't have a match, their contribution rates are the same. And that contribution rate is pretty abysmal. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a really good number. People are not contributing to their 401ks in droves. We'll just leave it at that. It's a less than 50% contribution rate. And by that, I mean less than 50% of the people who have a 401k plan available to them or a retirement plan available to them are actually making any contributions at all. And know that if you have a match, you are literally leaving money on the table. If your company offers a 3% match and you've been saying, man, it'd be great if I could get a raise, you can get a 3% raise today by just contributing to your 401k up to whatever level you need to to hit that match. And typically that match is reached either dollar for dollar or 50 cents on the dollar. So if you want to get a 3% match and they say we'll match uh, up to 3%, 50 cents on the dollar, you put in 6%, they put in 3, you're saving 9% with you only putting in 6 and by the way, that's pre-tax dollars, so you're not going to feel the full 6%. You'll probably feel something like 4 or 5%, so it's not as dramatic as you think. Do that if you can, and I know some people can't, but you need to do it as much as you possibly can. If um, you're in a fortunate position where you can increase your contribution, in other words, I know that I haven't saved as much as I should have, and I'd like to increase my contribution, or I need to increase my contribution, start today. Do it. Just hop online and raise your contribution by a half a percent or one percent. Don't make it dramatic, because if you make it dramatic, you're going to regret your decision. You're going to reverse it back to where it was before. Make it minimal. Just increase it just a little bit. There's another way that you can do this, by the way, and it's a way that I, I have done my entire career, and it works really, really well. Anytime you get a raise or anytime you have a better year or whatever it is, you get a raise and your raise is 3%, increase your 401k contribution by 1%. You're still going to get a 2% raise. You're still going to feel good about it. And you didn't even realize, you, you didn't know what 3% was going to look like anyway. So just increase your 401k contribution at the exact same time. And do that every single time you get a raise. Very quickly, you'll end up saving 15% into your 401k, which puts you right on track to where you need to be. The other thing that a lot of 401k companies will allow you to do is set automated increases. So what I just said, you go, yeah, but every time I do that, man, it just, it feels painful. I got to go in there and I, ah, I got a raise and I'm giving half of it away. You can actually go into a lot of 401k plans and say, I would like to automate every year on January 1, I want to increase my contribution rate by 1%. And it'll just do it all by itself. You won't even, you don't have to do anything. So try and automate your savings as much as you possibly can. And that applies to 401ks and everything. Um, if you think that you're going to say, when I get my bonus, I'm going to save half of it. Um, I'm going to write a check to savings for $200 a month. You might be one of those few disciplined people that actually does it, but by and large, everyone I encounter that says they're going to do that does not do it. You need to automate it. I want to have $200 a month taken out of my checking account and going to my Roth IRA. Just It hits and it goes. It just automatically is withdrawn. So my suggestions would be make sure you're automating your savings. Automate increases to your savings if you can. And if you're not at the match, try and get there as you quickly as you possibly can because you're leaving free money on the table. Those are not just for 2020. Those are things you should be doing 
every single year. It will put you on a better path, and it'll get, actually give you a fighting chance to get you where you need to be, regardless of who you are. Why do you think people have that mentality that they get a raise and you're suggesting that they put more into their retirement, that they think that they're giving it away? I mean, it's for their future. But why do we look at it like that? Because it's because we're not spending it or have it in our hands immediately. You know, I, I don't know. And I and I've I work with people in all different income categories. So I know oftentimes in this show, I talk about, you know, hundred thousand dollars of income, two hundred thousand dollars income. It doesn't matter if you make thirty thousand dollars a year or three million dollars a year. I have clients that make well over a million dollars a year, and they are absolutely in the same boat in the way of their their methodology for saving as people who make forty grand a year. And I have clients that make a million and a half a year, and they go, well, when I get my $750,000 bonus, I'm just going to save all of it. You don't. They don't. They come up with reasons that they need to spend it on this and on this, and then when that's done, well, next year I'll be able to save the whole thing. I'm just going to knock this out first. And the next year, new things come up. Your best fighting chance for long-term wealth is automation. Automate everything. Um, it eliminates all emotional factors out of it. Oh, the, the market's down. I hear this one a lot, too. I have 100 grand sitting aside that I'd like to invest, but I'm going to wait until the market goes down. But it doesn't go, when it goes down, then the argument becomes, well, it's down so much, I, I, I don't feel real confident about the way the market's going. Your best bet is to just take that 100000 and say, I'm going to save ten grand a month off that 100000 over the next 10 months and just put it into the market. In the long run, you will end up better off. And that's not to say that you shouldn't put it in a managed portfolio that's mitigating risk and all those other things. I'm saying just the way to enter into that investment is automation. More of the Aptis Blueprint Retirement Radio Show with Josh Pick when we come back. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptis Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptis Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptis Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. You know, if we could live our lives in hindsight, Josh Knowing what we know now and being able to do it all over again, what advice would you give yourself at the age of 16? Um, Well, don't go to prom with... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, the advice is not that uh, exciting. I mean, it's if you had to give yourself advice on how to get in shape, you would say, well, eat healthy, go to the gym. Everybody knows these answers. It's the in practice that makes it really hard, right? And the... The answers to your question are the same at 16 as they should be at 30, uh, as they should be at 50. Uh, Maintain appropriate saving and spending levels, i.e. live within your means. Don't overspend. Don't get yourself into uh, a significant debt position. Don't use bad debt like credit cards because you can get upside down quickly and it's very difficult to dig yourself back out. And we all know people who have been in that situation or maybe you've been in that situation. It's a difficult uh, lesson to learn. But try to not even have to learn it. Just stay in a good position debt-wise. 
on top of that, by staying in a good position debt-wise, you have better credit, which means when you need to go actually go buy something on credit, you'll pay less than the person that got themselves in a bad debt position. So live within your means, manage your debt position. Um, next, never stop learning in your career. Nurture your human capital. Make yourself irreplaceable to your employer. You get a good job. I see this a lot. You get a good job. You get comfortable in that job, and you just kind of settle in. Um, while that, I get it. it. There's a lot of other things going on in your life. Constantly try and improve your situation so that, again, you're irreplaceable to your employer. Um, other things, uh, s- automate your savings. Same thing we just talked about. Start early. The earlier, the better. If there's one thing that frustrates me that is not taught in high school, it's compound interest in the rule of 72. That should be just beaten into people's heads. The earlier you start, the less you have to save. The earlier you automate, the better chance you have of actually sticking to the plan. And the quicker you get ahead in the way of having a positive versus negative net worth, the harder it is to get in a difficult position. I talk about this a lot, Diane. I I speak to some universities, particularly finance classes, and one thing that I always hammer home, and I, I don't know if it resonates or not, but the power of getting ahead versus the power of getting behind. Um, And I know that this is very, very difficult to grasp, particularly for young folks. I have these conversations with my children all the time, but we all know these people. You take two people, they both make the same amount of money. They both have the same financial uh, income situation. They both have the same family situation relatively. One person liked to spend money a lot early on and got behind. The other person liked to save money early on and got ahead. Those two paths will never cross. The person who got behind will never catch the person who got ahead. And the person that got behind is constantly going to be struggling. And the person that got ahead is going to be having conversations like, I can't believe that I got here. And it's not a lot of money. When you're 22 years old, start saving 50 bucks a month. And I don't know how you were when you were 22, but I promise I wasted more than 50 bucks a month on really dumb stuff. Oh, Just start saving 50 bucks a month. And then when you get a raise, increase it. You get a raise, increase it. You'll be surprised how quickly you end up saving a very significant chunk of money, and it doesn't seem to really affect your life. The other thing, make sure you're logical in the way that you invest. And this is very difficult and where I think a huge amount of value comes in working with a financial professional at any age. Try and remove emotion from your investment strategy. In other words, don't be 100% in stocks. Don't be 100% out of stocks. Pick a logical, sane investment philosophy, stick to it, automate it. And then lastly, and this one's very, very difficult, but I know a lot of people that have been in this scenario, buy insurance, not when you need it, but buy it early when you don't need it. It'll be a lot less expensive. For example, you're 25 years old, you're not married, you don't have any kids. Buy term insurance policy. The reason is it's very inexpensive when you're 25 years old and healthy. Then you go have kids, and God forbid you get something that would preclude you You know, let's say MS. MS is not necessarily a death sentence, but it certainly precludes you from being able to get life insurance or at least affordable life insurance. But if you had the term insurance to begin with, there's conversion procedure. There's all sorts of stuff you can do to make sure you can maintain that insurance at a reasonable level for the rest of your life. So buy insurance before you need it. That's a real difficult one to to convince people who are 23 years old is what they need is life insurance. They go, well, if I die, I don't even have anybody to follow me. So who cares? That doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. Um, Invest for the long term, logical investment strategy, live within your means, uh, purchase appropriate life insurance products at the appropriate time, manage your debt, get ahead rather than behind. Uh, If I could, you know, play this little segment over and over and over again for my kids with the hopes that it actually resonates with them, I would. 
Um, but it's a difficult lesson to learn, unfortunately. Let's talk about divorce, because that can be something that can completely change your retirement picture. And it's something we've never talked about before. Yeah. Well, and uh, it, we know that, you know, it's not, uh, when, when I was growing up, it was kind of a rarity to know somebody was divorced. And the reality is you can think of whatever you want to think of it, but 50% of all marriages in the United States, I believe it might even be more than that now, end in divorce. As a, you know, and as a single person, I'm not finding that anywhere. <laughs> That's <laughs> I'm like, I think that's a little, I think that's a little low, but anyway, yeah, or I, a little I think, high, then, I should say. You know, subsequent marriages, the stats are even higher, right? I think it's 75% divorce rate for second marriages, and I think it's 90 for third marriages. So the reality is, um, you know, marriages, while it's, uh, depending upon your religious affiliation, it's definitely a religious uh, endeavor, and it's a commitment between two people. It's also a financial contract, fact. It's a financial contract at the state level, and all states are different. So if you get married in Ohio, it's not the same uh, as in the form of divorce as it is in, say, California. Um, and I think that, you know, you should approach that, of course, with love and all the other things, but you should also approach it from a financial perspective and know that this could be damaging and we better get uh, on the same financial page as well as emotional page before we get married. Um, and that's, that's somewhat difficult to do when you're in that euphoric uh, feeling of, you know, I want to get married and this is the rest of our lives together. Wait, hold on, push the pause button. Let's talk about money. Yeah. Cause love is going to conquer that, anything at that, at that euphoric stage. Right. And I don't want to be pessimistic and say that I don't believe in those things. Obviously as a married guy, I mean, I, I obviously do. I have three kids and I'm married, but I've, I've also gone through divorce. I understand how that can all play out and you need to just make sure you understand how that works. That's all. It doesn't mean you have to change anything necessarily. Just at least understand and there's so many times that I sit with clients who are going through a divorce, and uh, many times the unfortunate part is they're, they're just bewildered. They had no idea that this could happen, that they're not in control if they go through a divorce, that a judge is in control, and that they just get to sit by and see how it all plays out to a large degree. So divorce can have a huge impact in the long-term you know, vitality of your retirement plan. Make sure you do your research early. Um, I'm not an attorney, but uh, we can have that conversation about, you know, how does the state of Ohio work in general and, um, you know, or am I in a good financial position, et cetera. But it should be at least at minimum investigated. Do your clients ever ask you questions about prenups and, and whether you advise that that should be done? Yeah, and this is a delicate one that I have to dance around because, like I said before, I'm not an attorney and I certainly cannot offer legal advice. Um, but I work with a lot of attorneys and I can point them in the right direction if that's something they want to go down the path of. But um, I at least can give some generalities as to what is one, um, what would be some of the benefits of one, have you seen the results of them, because I have, and then beyond that very broad brushstroke 30,000 foot view, if you want to investigate it further, here's a place where you can go and do some reading, and then beyond that, here's a legal firm you can contact and at least start the conversation, the dialogue, and decide if you want to take it further. But it, it's interesting to me how... Um, I have had some significantly wealthy clients never even consider the idea. And then a matter of a couple of years later, we're going down a different path. And, and I don't mean to sound pessimistic about marriage again. I, I'm a married guy, three kids, very happily married. But you got to at least do some investigating. And I it think, is a contract. You know, it's not that you're saying do a prenup to protect, you know, keep money from one person or the other. It's so both of you can get through this financially sound without destroying everything you've created. Well, yeah, and, and you don't get, if you go through a traditional divorce, you're essentially turning over the control of that situation to the courts. 
Now, you can, uh, and I'm not talking about a disillusion. If you get a disillusion, both of you come together and you agree on something. But if you go beyond that and you can't agree, you're now turning it over to the courts. A prenuptial agreement gives you the ability to lay forth very clearly in the beginning, we fully intend on this going on forever, ever, ever. But in the event that it doesn't, here's how it'll play out. And we both agree to that because it's quote unquote fair. Um, so yeah, it, it enables you to get on the same page regarding the financial situation of your relationship, just like hopefully you've got on the same page emotionally about your relationship, which is why you're getting married. But it's certainly, Diane, seems frowned upon to do that. Um, the argument is commingling money with marriage is, you know, it just seems so, um, it seems so mechanical. This isn't a business decision. This is a, this is a relationship. You can't necessarily attach logic to love. We've heard all of this stuff. But the reality is, it is a business decision. The, the second that you get married and you sign that certificate, you are now inserting the state of Ohio into your relationship, period. You are. Whether you know it or not, you are. So you should maybe talk about what are the options for us to handle that piece of it, if nothing else, to keep the state of Ohio out of your relationship because you have this agreement set forth that eliminates them from being in it for the most degree. And you're putting these plans together when you're not in an emotional state that can happen and occur when you're going through a divorce. Uh, that's absolutely true. You've obviously seen this a time or two. I've heard about it. I've heard about it a couple <laughs> times. <laughs> Let's talk and about again, I, I cannot convey enough that this does not mean I'm anti-marriage or that I think everybody should try and, like you said, screw the other party or protect their money or whatever. It's about getting on the same page financially, which is all financial planning is. Financial planning is bringing, many times I bring in a couple, and I, I'm as much telling them about their options as helping them navigate getting on the same page. This is what we want our retirement to look like. This is what we both believe we can allocate resource-wise to achieve these objectives that we both agree we want. Similarly, as we're entering into this marriage, we want to make sure we're both on the same page financially. And the way that we can do that is by talking about it and by setting forth some sort of plan, which in our world is called a prenuptial agreement or some sort of contract that says if this doesn't work out, this is the way we're going to handle it. So it's, it's not anti-marriage, which I think a lot of times it's viewed as. It's very pro-communication, and that's what financial planning is all about in any regard, whether you're buying a car or you're uh, planning for retirement or you're going down the, the prenuptial agreement route or marriage. So I just want to be very clear on that, that this is not – it should not be a negative conversation. It should be a very positive one, one of communication and one of understanding and one of getting on the same page. The number to call is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.